we have over 1,300 documented cancer victims right now, just in a one-mile radius. I'll be quite honest with you, it's changed my life so radically. Sometimes I don't even know who I am. 1,300 people in a one-mile radius. What's causing so much sickness? It turns out all these victims have one thing in common. They live next to a military base called Fort Detrick. Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. Joining me today, I have Ben Swan coming back on to discuss something that he just had a special segment on, an exclusive, in fact, and this is around the Ukrainian biolab discussion. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to have him on to discuss this today, and you saw I did a segment on this on the show, was because this is such a very important conversation, and just like the COVID-19 or the Ukraine conversation today, there's an overwhelming amount of subjective discussion being had from political talk, from political pundits, from the government, from the fact checkers and all of this. And so this is a conversation that's being done in a very objective way and, and, and really not focusing on the facts that we can prove. And nonetheless, has been attacked. Ben Swan's been attacked with just an onslaught of fact checkers trying to argue that this stuff is fake while pointing at the wrong information. So I wanted to have Ben to come on today to elaborate on the exclusive information that he's discussing and go over this discussion in general and maybe pick his brain about a few other topics around Ukraine in general. So Ben, how are you today? Glad to have you back on. I'm doing great, Ryan. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Well, why don't we just start off in general with where this actually began for you? Like, where did this information when did it come into your possession and when, and what was the first part of this, as you said in the beginning of your video, that every journalistic bell in your mind was you know, going off on, in, in this topic. So what was it that really made that stand out to you? And at what point did you begin to see that there was some really aggressive misinformation coming out about these labs being in existence in general? Well, I think that's the first thing, right? So as a journalist, the first thing that really gets your attention is when, number one, you have some kind of official agency or, or um, you know, official so-called fact checkers or big tech or big media or other journalists who come out and say, oh, this story is not true. There's no truth to it. Then all of a sudden you see someone. Like, and by the way, I had been getting tips from people for the last couple of months about Ukrainian biolabs saying you got to look at the Ukraine biolabs. And I'm like, this is, a, this is an online thing, right? I don't know if there's any truth to it. I had no reason to believe there was necessarily truth to it. It actually seemed a little bit fantastical. So I, I had stayed away from the story until Victoria Newland said in under oath on the Senate, uh, in front of the Senate subcommittee to Marco Rubio and said, yeah, actually these things do exist and we're concerned about the Russians getting control of them. Then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I thought there were, there were no biolabs. Now all of a sudden Victoria Newland says there are biolabs and she's concerned about what's inside them. Here's the problem is that as soon as you get that, then you still see the fact checks come up, right? So USA Today, PolitiFact, all the same fact checking organizations had already for weeks been saying, nope, there are no biolabs at all in Ukraine. There None exist, right? That's what they were originally saying. Even after Victoria Newland, they were saying, nope, there aren't biolabs and they're not doing bio research uh, in Ukraine. Still not true. And then they tried to switch it all of a sudden once it started getting reported. I think mm. once Tucker Carlson talked about it, then all of a sudden you saw a shift where the Pentagon came out, Department of Defense, they released a statement saying, oh, yeah, well, <laughs> who are we kidding? There are some bio labs, of course, but they're not what you think they are. These are old right. labs that the Soviets had. And so we were just helping to eradicate some potential pathogens that might have been there. 
What they what they were ignoring though was the fact that the U.S. has been building bio labs. It's not what they said is factually untrue. Right. So as you guys have seen, you know the the um, uh, reports from the past. I think 2010 about Obama talking about launching a level three bio lab uh, that he was building under his administration in Ukraine. And then so we, we started reporting on this. And then all of a sudden, I had people from Ukraine who started sending me information saying, we're really glad you're talking about this. No one else is talking about it. Here are some things that you might be interested in. One of them was this video, uh, which we had to get translated by this reporter uh, who essentially was talking about two years ago. So this was back in you know 2020, talking about Ukrainian biolabs. There, there being at least 15 of them, according to her report. Mm-hmm. And of those 15, she says, you know, the U.S. government's funding all of them. The Pentagon's funding all of them. The people who work in these labs, I, I believe what she said is that no one who's Ukrainian is even allowed to work in the labs. Everyone working in the labs is from the United States. So they're, they're U.S. scientists who were there and they all have um, diplomatic immunity. Right. That's a big point that I wanted to talk about. Let me, let me do one thing really quick, Ben. I'm going to go ahead and play that Victoria Newland clip really quickly. And, and guys, this is completely on me. The chat seems to be saying your mic is a little bit low. So would you mind turning it up a real, just a notch and I'll play that video and we'll come right back. That's on me because it sounded good before we started. So let me play this clip and we'll come right back. Okay. Um, I only have a minute left. Let me ask you, um, does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities, which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. I'm sure you're aware that the Russian propaganda groups are already putting out there all kinds of information about how they've uncovered a plot by the Ukrainians to release biological weapons in the country and with NATO's coordination. If there's a biological or chemical weapon incident or uh, or attack inside of Ukraine, is there any doubt in your mind that 100 percent it would be the Russians that would be behind it? There is no doubt in my mind, Senator, and it is classic Russian uh, technique to blame on the other guy what they're planning to do themselves. Well, I first just give your comments on that variation of the same discussion point. I just think there's a couple points that I find hilarious, but I'd like to see a couple anything that stood out to you in, in those comments. Oh, there are so many things. Hopefully, the, the microphone here is better. But let us know in the chat, guys, if it's uh, good or bad. Go ahead, Ben. You know, I, there are a couple of things that really stand out to me about that. First of all, is the fact that that Senator Marco Rubio does not follow up with one single actual question about these labs he doesn't say wait a minute so there are because he originally asked the question assuming the answer was no by the way mm-hmm. he asked the question at least i presume that he was asking it with assuming it was no meaning that when he asked the question he said and are there bio labs in ukraine and then she said yes and it was like oh he wasn't ready for that answer mm-hmm. but rather than spending some time and saying, well wait a minute wait a minute can we talk about like what are these labs what are they there for what are they being used for what's inside them what's being studied she says we're concerned about the contents of those labs getting out. He didn't ask, what are the contents of the labs? Mm-hmm. What's specifically? Instead, he follows up with this ridiculous uh, response and question of saying, and in your mind, is there any doubt that if there is a biological or chemical attack, it comes from the Russians? And she says, <laughs> no, no question. Why? Why, why right. would you assume that if Ukraine has, now the, the, the uh, statement is, it's anywhere from 15, which 
we know journalists who have said at least 15 labs. There are others who say at least 30 labs. So Tulsi Gabbard has said there are at least 30 uh, bio labs across the country of Ukraine. Hmm. But so I don't know what the exact number is, but anywhere between 15 and 30 of these labs. And you have no doubt that if there is a biological attack, it's coming from the Russians. And 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 why do you, again, there's no why question being right. asked. Why is that? Yeah, I, I find that that and then the point of which it's you know, that so they've come out and said that they're concerned about these false flags being done. There's no conversation about that. There's no investigation, no evidence around that. It's simply, well, Russia says it, so we know it's fake. And so, you, you know, what's your it's, it's all subjective is the point. And then none of this is based in reality or fact. And it's just so frustrating. But to the point about the about the bio labs. Right. So it, what's I, to your point? Exactly. I think this has been and I, I compare to my mind to similarly with what's happening in Ukraine and sort of the Azov battalion conversation where it's like there's no Nazis whatsoever. You guys are conspiracy theorists. And 30 seconds later it becomes, well, there are. But here's why Putin's lying about what's really happening. It's the same thing. Right. These bio labs. It, the point was about making it the word bio lab, therefore meaning weapons. And they know that's not true, right? Bio labs are simply biological research. And her point was that these are dangerous, but only when Russia comes into the field. And of course, that ignores the the Azov Battalion concern in that conversation, which you can comment on if you'd like, but let's focus on the labs in general. I thought it was really interesting, the diplomatic point that I wanted to come back to. That was one thing that stood out in your coverage that really kind of, in my mind, it really blossomed because I've been talking about this from before that there's the discussion of where this actually kind of started in regard to Omicron specifically. And I found it really interesting. I kind of want your thoughts on this, that in this discussion from the Botswana government, which weirdly enough, they never talk about that. They always now claim it started in South Africa, which it didn't. It began in Botswana and went to South Africa, is that they claim from the Botswana government that the new virus was detected on four foreign nationals who had entered Botswana on a diplomatic mission. So I just find it interesting and your kind of thoughts on the overlap there of the diplomatic level to this and how whether you believe there's, you know, the, the crossover of diplomatic immunity in that context, just kind of want your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, first of all, the diplomatic immunity—excuse me, diplomatic immunity—indicates to me that whatever research is being done there, there are concerns about uh, legal implications, right? For the fact that these, what's being researched there, could be either illegal, it could violate some kind of international law, it could violate Ukrainian law. It seems very strange to say every person working in this lab is given diplomatic immunity, first of all. Uh, second of all, because of the fact that that we don't really know what the point of these labs are and the fact that they have been continually constructed over the past few years, as opposed to what was originally said, there are a lot of a lot of issues here. Now, you, you were talking about the, the, the COVID issue. So there's been some discussion about bats, and apparently in some of these labs, they were studying bats and they were studying um, the effects of certain ticks and fleas that had, mm -hmm. had uh, attached themselves to these bats. So they are doing some kind of research there. But the argument becomes, well, you know, they're just doing bio lab and that has nothing to do with bioweapons. But the truth is, it does have to do with bioweapons. Right. I don't know that the labs themselves are creating bioweapons. Bio but as we pointed out in the report, if you go to the National Institutes of Health here in the United States and look at their section on bioweapon research, they essentially lay out that most of bioweapon research is related to taking existing bacteria, things like salmonella and E. coli, right, and then altering them and attaching different layers of bacteria to one another so you can release them into the public to see how it will impact a population, right? That is a form of biological uh, weapons research. Well, that's what these labs were full of. They were full right. of bacteria. And again, we don't know exactly how they were being used or why they were being used. But part of the problem with that is there's no transparency whatsoever in these labs. So if you go back and look at, again, the reporting that's been done, 
the, the U.S. government has signed agreements with the Ukrainian government. Ukrainian government's not allowed to talk about what's happening in the labs. Well, why would you agree to even do this in the first place? Why would your government say there can be no transparency as to what a foreign government is doing in our labs? But the, as you and I both know, and probably most of your listeners know, one of the big problems with Ukraine is it's a giant slush fund. Right? There's all this corruption in the country. We knew this years ago. We knew this before the Hunter Biden story, right? right. The Hunter Biden story became kind of the, the microcosm story of just how corrupt Ukraine is. It's a giant slush fund that all these elites use to wash money, to hire their kids to do things, uh, or to use it for research or for um, you know moving money into industry that's that's hidden from the light of day. And so there's all these problems that already existed in Ukraine. And if you go all the way back to 2004, 2005, 2009 uh, in Ukraine, what you see is the U.S. and and other groups, whether it's on the government side or on the side of kind of the the, the multinational globalist elites who are taking advantage of this spot in the world that is one of the poorest countries, by the way, in Europe, taking mm-hmm. advantage of it to run money through there. And then all of a sudden you get guys like Zelensky, who is this, you know, actor turned uh, dictator, essentially is what he's become right. now. Uh, and and they're all getting rich. And so right. the biolab story, I think, is just another layer to this story, this, this narrative of Ukraine um, that demonstrates how it is, again, being taken advantage of. But I think the most alarming thing about the biolab story, according to this reporter whose report we were we were sharing, um, is the fact that there are outbreaks. There have been a, a large numbers of outbreaks of cholera um, sickness within the communities around the labs or swine flu breaking out around these labs. Strange viruses that are contained inside the labs are now breaking out in the public living around the labs. And so there's no transparency there. And that indicates that the people living around those labs, similar to what happened with with the Wuhan um, mm-hmm. Institute of Virology, that people living in the area wind up contracting whatever's being worked on inside of these labs. And that's a huge I, part of the story. Absolutely. And that's actually why I played that clip to start, which I'm sure you're familiar with, is Fort Dietrich and, and the discussion around that lab. It's it's very similar to any of these BSL-3 or 4 labs, whether around the world or in the United States. I wanted to make a quick comment about two things. The bacteria I found, that was really interesting. I hadn't heard that before that segment of yours about how they actually include the bacteria involved in the bioweapon production or however they want to frame it. And I, I wanted to add, too, that those that they should know that in plenty of discussions, even from these people themselves, NIH and so on, these are dual purpose investigative tools. I mean, they make that clear when they want to, sort of like the insect allies conversation where plenty of doctors and scientists came out and publicly signed letters going, for those who don't remember, they were working on insects to defend crops. But the point was the doctors and scientists came out and said, well, obviously it could be used to attack them too. So that's a weapon. And it's the same context for any of these bioweapons. And I was just talking about self-spreading vaccines, which Johns Hopkins and plenty of others are working on. Now they call them contagious vaccines. That's a bioweapon. That's what it is. And it can be used either as a vaccine if they want to or the other way. And we always have to perceive it like that. So I'm concerned about whether that was something that was being done, sort of like Wuhan, whether this was outsourced after. And this is the next point I want to get to. I found this really in- interesting in your coverage there about whether or not th- with Poroshenko and you know Yanukovych and, and the, the 2014 regime change, whether or not that was because they were potentially going to lose control of what they were doing there, whatever that may be. So would you go into that for me about what you found? Yeah, I actually thought that was pretty interesting, too, because, you know, certainly as a, as a U.S. journalist and looking at this story over the years, I've always believed that the, the main reason 
um, that the the U.S.-led coup took place in 2014, the so-called color revolution that took place, uh, was really about the EU. Really, it was about the fact that Yanukovych did not want to stay in, in the EU. He had a choice. I can either work with the EU and I can work with the IMF to take care of Ukraine's money problems, or he had a, a counter offer, if you will, from Russia to say, well, we'll side with Russia, we'll work with Russia, and the Russians will give us money, and, and they'll take care of it. And he was actually playing both sides, mm-hmm. uh, Yanukovych was, and and at the time that this was happening, and it put both groups on pause, basically wait, kind of waiting them both out, and then all of a sudden, before he knew it, he was out of office, right, because the U.S. did not wait. Uh, if, you, if you've watched, by the way, and I highly recommend this for folks who are on Sovereign.media, We've put up um, Oliver Stone's Ukraine on Fire right. uh, documentary. I really recommend it. If you have not watched it, to go and watch it because this was done in 2016. So much detail there about what was happening. And one thing I learned from it, I didn't know, is that the U.S. already had plans to do this in 2015. They were hmm. already moving toward this. And something caused them to push up their timeline. Mm-hmm. And instead of, of removing Yanukovych and pushing for this in 2015, they just they went ahead and moved in, in 2014 to make it happen uh, in advance. And so you have to ask why. And what was said in this report that we saw indicated that Yanukovych, when he took over, because remember, um, and I'm going to get the, the, the pronunciations wrong, but it's Yanukovych and then it's uh, the guy who preceded him. I can't remember his name. It's a very similar name. Um, they have been in a very tight election. Right. The U.S. was involved in that, claiming that Yanukovych had not won. This other guy, Yushchenko, right. I believe it is, was the one who wound up taking over mm-hmm. uh, in the country. And so he was he was the leader of the country. And during that time, and that was, you know, what, 2005 to 2009, 2010. During that time, he was allowing for a whole proliferation of labs to be created and built. That's when the, the done uh, act comes in in the United States and they all of a sudden they're allowing for all these labs to be built, right? Mm-hmm. When Yanukovych took over in 2010, uh, there were complaints about these labs. And so one of the things that his administration reportedly did, and this journalist shares these documents that we were able to report on, uh, his government essentially went in and started auditing the labs. What are you doing in here? You know, are you following safety protocols? How safe are these places? And what they found was a litany of errors and mistakes and uh, leakage that was inside of, of these labs that allowed for um, viruses to potentially escape. They were not following protocols. And so Yanukovych said, well, we're done with this. We're not going to do this anymore. And said right. he was going to end this agreement with the U.S. Now, I had never heard this before until I this reporter, who again is providing documents of this. So I don't know, you know how much veracity there is to this report, but it's very interesting to me that while I had only heard this one side of the story, right, for so many years, which mm-hmm. was it's all about the EU and the IMF, that now there's another layer to that, another facet to it that indicates that perhaps there was also this drive to say we can't let him shut down these labs. And so let's, that's one of the reasons they potentially moved up the timeline. Again, don't know, but it's certainly an interesting point um, because there seems to be evidence that he was going to shut down these labs. You know what it kind of brings to mind is the conversation of how the Iraq war was framed by by some of the independent media even then. You know, it's all about oil, which is obviously valid. That's obviously a part of it. But we now know it was a much grander idea, much more it tied into a lot of different things. And that's what it kind of sounds like to me is that this is 
I, I, my mind would say it's a no brainer that there, that was part of it. There was something there to it, especially with what we're seeing today, but I'm with you. I think there's, there's always more to these things and it's much broader than that. And I would argue it still ties back to the EU discussion. That's probably part of it as well. Right. You know? well if I could just say, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's easy for us, especially as journalists, right? we're looking for that one thing. Right. What is the one thing that's the reason for this, the mm. linchpin, if you will, that all of this is built on? When the truth is, it's so much more complicated than we realize. It's, there are so many more layers to it than we realize. I mean, who would have thought, if, if you had even told us this, right, back in 2014, hey, the reason this is happening is because Yanukovych has, has been working to, to decouple Ukraine from the United States and these bio labs that they're starting to build all over the country. If you told us that in 2014, Nobody's even going to listen to you, right? right. Biolabs, what are you talking about? It's not till after the U.S. is going and funding biolabs, not just there, but places like the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and then a virus gets out, and then there's a total attempt to reset the entire globe mm-hmm. in terms of democracies and what they look like, rule of law, government, economies, everything. And you say, oh, wow, all this just took place. Now when we hear the term biolab. Now, when we talk about, you know, viruses being studied, bats being studied, now it now it triggers something different in us because there's another piece to this puzzle that right. we hadn't even imagined before 2020. And I think it's it's worth noting that Ukraine is is come out as the one of the first countries. I think it's the first country to fully adopt all of the World Economic Forum directions and their so their vaccine a passport and the digital currency i mean it's just it's kind of absurd to think that happened simultaneously during being invaded and the way they're framing it. you know it's obvious there's more to that and it just in, in general but i want to and there's a lot more we could get into in regard to the background of that and what you think it connects to and there's plenty of thoughts i have around covid19 crossover but a lot of it tends to be subjective and i'm trying to make sure we this is as as objective as possible around this i wanted to go into how Right now, the interesting overlap to how they're they're trying to, even as of right now, as I understand this one, I think this is from the 11th. There was one more I had in general that, that basically they're coming out all over the place saying that these labs don't exist. And I wanted to get your thoughts on the fact checks that are coming out around this conversation, the ones that addressed you particularly. And like, wh- how what is it that they're doing when they fact check this? I know my audience is very familiar with this, but I'm curious sure. about your perspective on what they're doing and how they're pretending these are fact checking anything i i jokingly call them opinion checks these days because what it is but well and they're I, i'm not even sure that in a lot of cases they're even opinion checks because they've become <laughs> so lazy right. about the way they do them that what they'll do is uh, what i've noticed with me is i almost never have a reporter who says we're fact checking this particular article by ben swan or this report by ben swan right and here's why it's wrong they don't do that with me mm-hmm. instead what they do is they take some obscure uh post on facebook at some point Right. right, where someone will write something, and I'm very suspicious, by the way, that this is that they're not finding these; they're creating these original posts, and it'll be some insane post. Like, I'll just give you an example, right? I'm just making one up. It'll be something like uh, Obama decided that he and Hillary were going to rule the world by creating a bio lab and mutant strains of zombie virus in Ukraine. Right? <laughs> they'll have some insane claim like that, and then they'll say. Fact check this. It's untrue, right? Missing context. Not true. Obama didn't do this. No, Hillary didn't do this. No zombie virus. They'll do that. Then what they do is they start looking for anyone who's reporting on something substantial that's verified. And then they just start attaching because of the algorithms. They'll start attaching all of these fact checks to it saying untrue, not true, because it's been previously fact checked. No, it hasn't. 
Nobody right. from USA Today has taken our report, looked at it, read through it and said, OK, or watched it and said, this isn't true. Or this reporter who's being cited here is lying. Or we looked at it and the documents um, that he's claiming that he's translated over aren't translated. And it actually says something about chicken pot pie and it doesn't say anything about Ukraine biolabs, right? They're not doing that. Instead, right. what they're doing is they're coming in and saying everything that's posted about biolabs is untrue because we've already fact-checked, quote-unquote, right. biolabs. And that's the, that's the game that's being played. And so, But remember, they did this originally. Here's what's so fascinating. They originally said there were no biolabs before Victoria Newland. None. There mm-hmm. are the, the words they were using, no biolabs in Ukraine. That's what they mm-hmm. said. Then when Victoria Newland came out, now they've tried to change it. It's Russian disinformation that these research labs are being used uh, for nefarious purposes. That's the argument they're now trying to make. Right. And the problem is, is that it, the, the public believes it, right? There's no biolabs, but it's all a setup. The whole thing's this, this you know, shell game of words to move everything around and say, well, we're, you know, we're just saying that this part of it's not true. And there's no accountability. So Facebook goes along with all of it and they, they keep labeling us as liars um, when we're presenting facts and evidence. And, right. and here's the other thing. Nobody from USA Today is getting fact-checked. Like, we're right. fact-checked on USA Today and the fact that they said there are no biolabs. As soon right. as Victoria Newland speaks, why are they not booted off of Facebook? Why are they not booted off of Twitter? Right. Who watches the watchers? It's a classic concept, right? That's always how this goes. And that, that's that's the way that they're manipulating all of this. But what what's interesting, though, coming back to the non-existent aspect in the way i mean you, you use the word setup right there which i thought was really interesting so what do you what do you when you say setup how, it, what, what's your perspective on how something is being set up here because i find this to be i agree with you completely but i wanted your thoughts on how that's being used to set people up because i see this being connected quite clearly to the larger agenda and the biolab part of it i find to be very relevant to how this might play out because we've heard a lot of arguments about false flags and chemical attacks and you know and and, and like just jokingly, we see them say this up until it happens. Like they've said they're going to invade Ukraine for eight years, and then it finally happens. They go, "See, we told you." You know, so right. you know, how do you see this going, and what do you mean by setup? Well, what I think is interesting about the setup part of it is, and I did not even think this until a couple of years ago, right? It's only because of COVID and now what we're seeing with Ukraine that I've now come to this conclusion, which is that the fact checkers for a long time I thought here's a group of stooges, if you will, mm-hmm. and stooge organizations that are being you know, funneled money to go in there and push an agenda. What I didn't realize was happening, and I think this biolab story becomes the first story that really, again, makes this bell go off for me, um, is that I didn't realize that they're getting in advance mm. information about what to fact check before it's even out there, right? So, so again, the fact that three weeks before Victoria Newland, three weeks before her, Politico and USA Today are running stories on the fact that there are no biolabs in Ukraine. Why are you running stories on this when no one's saying there are? Right. right? Usually the fact check is a response to information. Now, there, there were a few people on Twitter and a few people online who were going out there and saying, hey, there's biolabs in Ukraine. Pay attention. Right. A few people like it. not people with influence, not people who were actually presenting very much fact around them. But there were a few people. But for the most part. This is not something that should necessarily warrant USA Today's attention or a reporter at USA Today. And yet they preemptively issued the fact check. So it's the first one that I'm aware of where they preemptively issued a fact check to say these things are not true. 
no one's saying they are. Then you go three weeks and all of a sudden somebody says it is true. And you're like, who's in a position to know Victoria Newland? And you say, wait a minute. The, the fact checkers were actually saying something wasn't true, that no one was claiming was true, that now we know is true, which means someone was putting out this idea. Hey, right. there's a story that's going to break at some point because we know we've got 15 to 30 bio labs full of stuff and the Russians are taking. And this is something that I think is not getting a lot of press right now. We keep hearing how Vladimir Putin is, is so deranged and has no idea what he's doing and he's completely lost and he doesn't have enough bullets to continue. I mean, that kinds of crazy stuff. But one of the things I think is interesting is that Putin has not taken Kiev at this point. But what he has done is he keeps going to all these different locations where there are bio labs. Now, you're right. never going to hear that on CNN. And you're never going to hear that in USA Today because they're not even acknowledging the biolabs are there. So why is he in Kharkiv? Why right. is he in Odessa? Why is he moving into these particular areas? And so we, what we're being told is he's slowly trying to surround Kiev because all he cares about is killing Zelensky. He wants to right. murder him. When in fact, they're not even going to Kiev right now. They've, they've primarily sent forces to areas where there are biolabs. I don't know Putin's strategy. I don't know what he's trying to do. He doesn't consult with me. I don't talk to him. But I do think it's interesting that there is this piece of the story that doesn't get reported. So again, Americans have no clue as to what's happening because there's no context because no one's being honest about what's actually taking place. Meanwhile, the Russian military has now seized multiple labs and the contents of those labs. So it's just interesting to me that someone knew it was coming. They knew this was going to eventually happen because of what they were doing over there. And so they preemptively had a, a preemptive strike, if you will, to set everyone up so that they could protect against actual information coming out which I'm afraid that when we do get the really good information as to what's in those labs, it's going to be extremely disappointing for the American public. Yeah, I would agree. I, it's, fun, it's funny you mentioned Kharkiv. That's that's one of the focus points that I've had on the show. It was I, as far as I've been able to verify, I've, I've had uh, using the Wayback Machine on documents that are suddenly missing from their website. You, I've proven at least six or seven of these labs that I can show have funding from the U.S. government, that they talked about bringing in pathogens. So at the very least, we know that they are there exactly. But the Kharkiv one is very interesting, and especially because of the location and how it ties into these larger discussions. It's also interesting to point out that Victoria Newland was directly involved with the 2014 regime change. Yes. You know, So there's some interesting continuity there. But going back to the setup, the conversation of the setup, I see what, what brings to mind to me, what comes to my mind is whether or not there's a larger agenda here about how this is going to be used. And this does get into subjective conversation, but we know that we can see this conversation about these things are coming, false flags, chemical attacks, and so on. And I've been interestingly connecting the dots about the, the biological attack they've been floating from the beginning of all of this, like the, the crossover, vanilla ISIS and the white supremacy and the Republicans and how it all kind of ties together with what they're framing now with the Azov Battalion and the Nazis over there and how they were essentially trying to lay the groundwork for why that ties back to Russia despite I hopefully you've seen by now that that's been exposed to be funded and armed by the CIA from 2015 going forward. So it starts to paint this picture of what was attempting to build some sort of an agenda. I just kind of want your thoughts on that. If potentially the idea here is that we're talking about labs that were meant to be part of some agenda here. And that ultimately they drove forward to kind of take back, you know, just the idea of how that might play out because ultimately we saw with the Wuhan lab that they very clearly are outsourcing these things that they're doing and that they're dangerous. And so how do you see that playing out? And I guess the last point would be if Putin, something does happen at all, regardless of who carries it out. I think we know how that would play out. They're just going to say Putin did it. 
and then sure. we're all going forward, right? So, what are your thoughts on that? Well, they, they, yeah, for sure. And, and whatever happens over there, it'll be Putin's fault, right? Right. Um, but, but again, I think there is a a really interesting um, kind of picture here of what what begins to happen when you begin to realize that there is so much more happening in this country than we even knew about. Um, and then, you know, I, I do have to say this uh, on the the CIA part of the Azov Battalion, and I I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on them. But I think it's part of this narrative, right? So somebody said to me the other day, they said, as a journalist, like, how, how are you getting there so fast, right? How are you getting to, to the culprit so fast or the, you know, recognizing some of the, the issues in these um, storylines, whether it's what happened in Syria or what happened in mm-hmm. Iraq, you know, and now in Ukraine they're, and they're like, you keep comparing them. And, and they were asking me about this. And what I told them was the right. reason that it's easy, it's actually pretty easy to do is because it's the exact same playbook run over and over and over. You just have different names. And right. so if we're talking about, you know, what happened in Iraq. So we go into Iraq to stop the Saddam Hussein. We overthrow his government. We, and we hand it over to the worst elements in the entire country. Right. right. The exact same thing happened was going to happen in Afghanistan. The Taliban, we overthrew them, but they never left. The difference was the same guys who were the bad guys before just took back over again. They, they right. actually stuck around. But the rest of them, whether it's Libya, right, where we overthrew Gaddafi because he was this terrible dictator. And now all of a sudden, um, you know, we handed over to ISIS and we handed over to to fighters who we had sitting in prisons in Pakistan. And then all of a sudden we send them to Libya to fight. Mm-hmm. And they're all Al Qaeda guys. Al Qaeda and ISIS take over in Libya and you've got, you know, slave markets in the streets, open slave markets again. Uh, and so we see this over. It was exactly what they were trying to do in Syria with Assad. They were going to overthrow him and then hand the country over to ISIS. And so what you see over and over is the same narrative. The U.S. goes into a country. They paint the leader as as the devil himself. Right. He's the most evil person uh, in the world and must be stopped because he will destroy his own people. We overthrow him. We then uh, turn the country over to the not not incompetent people. Right. A kind person would say incompetent. We don't hand it to incompetent. We, we put an incompetent person in charge. Mm-hmm. But the CIA actually hands the country over to the worst people, the most violent people. You know, we hand over parts of Syria and Iraq to ISIS where they're literally taking homosexual men up to the top of buildings and throwing them off the top. Right. Where they are. They're beating women in public and selling women in public. We hand it to the worst people in the entire country and we allow them to take over. And it's the exact same thing happening in Ukraine. The clown puppet who's corrupt at the top in in the form of Zelensky right now and before him, uh, you know, everybody who took over before Poroshenko. Right. And so it's the same puppet at the top who gets millions of dollars in a foreign bank account. Check the Panama Papers. Zelensky has millions of dollars overseas uh, in offshore accounts, which how he got as on Dancing with the Stars Ukraine, hmm. that pays awfully well. Hmm. And then you have them actually trying to hand the country over to actual literal Nazis, not neo-Nazis, not new Nazis. My son keeps calling them neo-Nazis. I'm like, they're not neo-Nazis. They're actual the Nazis uh, because they never went away in the country. And that's that's who the government wants to, our government wants to hand the country over to. And so we see this same playbook over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. The new part of the playbook that we didn't know for the last 20 years was this whole part 
of the labs and the research that was going right. on. So this the is biosecurity standard to the story. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what we always try to draw the line because this is a very clear connection from the security state from 9-11 forward to the biosecurity state. This is simply just the part two of this agenda, in my opinion. And and I agree completely. I'm, I, I make the nuance that there are definitely people that are not necessarily that embody the Nazi party. And that's what I would, but I agree with you completely. There are definitely the, it's the same groupings, the same people, the same. I mean, it's it's this connection is undeniable. And and these people. But as you said, we don't want to dive into this deep today. But I just want to make the comments that the con the, the overlap you painted there is exact, in my opinion, in the same way. I've been calling this the new uh, the new Syria or as Whitney wrote in her article, the new Al Qaeda. And even finding out today that there's this CIA tied group that's you guy used to work for the DHS who started a group now as a white supremacist called the base which in fact means Al-Qaeda in translation. Right. I mean, it's incredible. And so to me, it starts to begin to paint the picture. And this is my theory on this, that they're building this or have been for the same reason you just pointed out, the same grouping they were going to use. And as usual, to try to blame it on somebody else. In this case, it seems they've laid the groundwork for the Russian imperial movement, despite the fact that there's no real connection to this other than some flimsy things that they claim. So I'm just concerned that this is exactly what was planned and, and building to the same agenda. And now they're fighting over this situation. But as you said, who ultimately knows? Because it comes, I mean, we shouldn't be trusting what Putin and his, and his government or the media apparatus is saying, and we shouldn't be trusting the U.S. government, their media apparatus. But today we get one side versus the other with COVID and everything else. And it's infuriating. So, I mean, how do you make sense of that? How do you get through to people in what's happening today? With, I mean, and you do, I, I give you a great praise for your work today, but Thank with you. everything happening to the same kind of question, you know, I agree with you. It does. I would say it's easy too, only because we're essentially looking at them doing things they've done before, breaking right. down the historical actions and looking at it through an objective lens. But you know, what, what's your advice to somebody new to starting this in, in addition to that? Well, I would say this, that in the past, when you, when you try to reference history, right. So, you know, you'll see guys, older guys like, um, uh, Jesse Ventura, right? Jesse Ventura loves to talk about false flags and the Gulf of Tonkin. And he'll be like, mm -hmm. the Gulf of Tonkin incident. That's how we got into the Vietnam War. The problem with, with using an example like that, which, by the way, is a completely accurate example. Right. The problem with using an example like that is that there is an entire generation of people who don't remember the Vietnam War, who know nothing about the Vietnam War. And so if, if we were brought into the Vietnam War via false flag, has no bearing on my life today or, or, or where we are today, right? Because it's different people in charge. I think what makes it so different now, thanks to really thanks to the Internet, thanks to their, our, our ability to know so much more about the world at such a faster speed. Now, that what changes it is all of a sudden you say, well, OK, so if you if you believe in all the Ukraine stuff, if you believe all of this stuff and you believe there's only two sides. I, mean, I love the way that Kamala Harris, the vice president, described it. Russia's a bad country and it's a big country. Ukraine's a nice country and a little country. Russia decided to invade the little country. And like, that's it. This is like, a, this is like a child's story, right? It's for kindergartners. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, there's no, there's no, there's no facts in that. There's no context in that, but, uh, and that's by, by design. Right. But what we see is all of a sudden people who maybe would look at this and say, oh no, it's very clear. Russia's bad. Putin's bad. They have these, these already kind of set worldviews in their head. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. But when you then say to them, well, what happened in Iraq? Oh, well, that one was a lie. Yeah, that one. Okay, so we can agree that was a lie. And and with Syria, that was also a lie too, right? When they kept telling us these were freedom fighters, they were going to make the country better, and it turned out they were all ISIS and Al Qaeda. And then they told us, by the way, that ISIS and Al Qaeda hate each other and would never work together. So that all has to be a lie. Then it turns out, no, actually, they had an alliance there. Right? When you when you begin to realize that, okay, so you lied about Iraq and you lied about Afghanistan, and oh, and you did lie about Libya, and you actually made that horrible. 
Oh, and you and you've lied about really every single revolution in Africa. Mm-hmm. And 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 you're not honest, you know, you pretend that you're so concerned about the lives of people against bigger, meaner countries, richer countries, but you say nothing about the Saudis and the genocide they're carrying out in Yemen that we're paying for. So you exactly. ignore on that. So I think what happens is people begin to say, okay, if they're a thinking person, they would say, okay, um, all right, I get that, that they've been lying, lying, lying. So wait a minute. So now I am supposed to believe that you've lied to me for 20 some years about every single foreign policy decision that's been made, every single war we've been a part of, right? And now all of a sudden this one's different, but this time you're telling me the truth, mm-hmm. right? The, I love the picture that was posted with Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama all smiling at the camera. And it says underneath that these three guys are responsible for more war than the entire history of the United States combined, every president before them combined, those three guys. And yet they're telling you that that what's happening in Ukraine must be stopped, right? There's something wrong. And I'm not saying that the war should happen. I'm saying there's something wrong with what we're being told. So if I can't trust you, then I have to try to figure out what's actually happening there and why it's happening, because whatever you're feeding me is is just not true. And and the, the power that these media folks have had on the public has dwindled greatly over the last 20 years. You know, this is exactly why I feel quite strongly, and I think COVID kind of revealed this to us, that the majority sees through this. And that may be wishful thinking, but and it's hard to see, especially with the controlled social media platforms. I mean, I ask my audience, where do we really get our perception of the majority? There's only it's only the mainstream media. There's really no way around that and social media. And these things are controlled. COVID showed us this. They kept yelling, you're the only one, you're the only one. But then you look at the percentages and you realize, wait, at least half the country is really resistant to these injections. And, and, then, and then as they forced and charged and arrested, it only went up a couple percent. You know, so you start to see that people don't buy it. And I, I reference the middle kind of what I maybe call 60, 70% of America that they don't point at. They only point at the extremes on either side. And they're the ones that are kind of like, well, I'll wait and see. You know, I'll vote this way. I'll vote that way. They kind of have ways they lean and they don't buy most of it, but they don't point at that. And maybe I'm wrong, but I feel that's also happening today. And I think they're desperate to point at the ones that put the flags in their social media posts and, you know, or the ones that aren't even real and the, the, the bots out there, which we also know exist, you know, and they're manipulating that. I don't know that for sure, but I feel quite strongly that America is smarter than they give them credit for. I agree. And I, I, but you made such a great point here, which is that when you talk about um, these ideas of who, you know, what, what do the majority think? The last time we actually knew that was right before the 2016 election, Hmm. because there's a media matters for America document that came out right after the election. It was a fundraising document and it went out to all their donors. And it basically was an explanation and an apology for the fact that Trump got elected. And what Hmm. he essentially said was that, up until this point, Media Matters had controlled and been able to control um, broadcast media, right? And that that narrative that they push, right, whether it's them personally or just their narrative, the narrative they push was was uh, effective on in broadcast. But the, where they had failed was to get control of social media. And so what happened in social media, you know, all the lies about Macedonian sheep farmers, you know, doing stuff about Hillary Clinton, not true. But what did happen, in fact, was that there were tens of millions of people sharing information and communicating with each other. And it's the real reason that Hillary Clinton lost. Hillary Clinton lost because of Facebook, because there were millions of people who could communicate with each other, tens of millions, who knew that they weren't the only ones who saw her for what she was. And it gave people confidence when they went out and voted. Now, what's happened since then over the next five years, and you don't have to be a Trump fan to to acknowledge this, what happened over the next five years was a, a concerted effort to say, we must convince the public 
that they are alone. And if you hold mm-hmm. these beliefs that you are uh, someone who's on the fringes, that's why they despise people like Joe Rogan when 11 million people are watching him every single week. And it's more people than watch cable news, right? Mm-hmm. Or watching Joe Rogan. So they have to try to destroy him because God forbid that people realize that there is there are 11 million of you right, who are listening to this one guy who agreed probably more or less with what he's saying. And so the, the goal is to scatter and to divide as many people as possible. And I think they're struggling yeah. with it right now. I agree completely. And I don't even take it one step further to make it more positive is that it's possible more so that they're attacking Rogan, not because they want to manipulate the people that believe him. I think they see that they're lost with them is that they're trying to give a bone to the people that want to be able to point at that and say, see, you're wrong because Rogan conspiracy theory like that. It's like your fact checks. You give them something to point at, you know, and and it's it's typical because even like Dr. McCullough said in his interviews, it's like they're fact checking that a podcaster said these things and he's going, I'm a very highly respected scientist and I'm holding up peer reviewed science and saying these things and they reference it as Rogan says these things. It's not true. You know, this is the, oh, this is the best they can do. Yes. And that, that shows you how real this really is that they're trying to hide information, you know? So I'd like, let's, let's wrap it up here with one last point since we got into this. And I just wanted your thoughts on this because I do believe, and hopefully maybe this, maybe you'll see an investigation by you coming forward, com- going forward on something on this topic, because I find this to be central to where this seems to be going. Yep. This overlap between how they're trying to build the, white supremacist threat focus in this country simultaneously having evidence that they've been building the same thing over there in Ukraine. I mean, that's all on the record. And I find that to be really interesting, but how that potentially connects back to January 6th and whether or not this event, that's very ridiculous. I mean, no one's trying to suggest there weren't bad things that happened there, that people didn't break the law, but the way they frame this comparing it to 9-11, I mean, it's a little interesting that now Biden's on the record as pointing out his whole focus in general. This is from uh, Taylor yesterday, I believe, by basically saying, that the people with the lynch mobs and the tiki torches, which was Charlottesville, which is the Rise Above movement, which, by the way, on the record, is the international arm of the Aza Battalion, which is referenced by Newsweek, is the person, the group he's pointing at for why he's going to make sure he runs again, because that threat is coming. It seems like an interesting connection, but I just wanted your general thoughts on January 6th and where you see that going and, and you know, and just kind of wrap us up here, the the potential threats that they could build and maybe just the broader idea of how they conduct these kind of psychological operations because we know they do do these kind of things they do i I think january 6th is actually a great segue from what we just talked about right about them losing the argument so Mm. january 6th is a lost argument now it's not lost in that there are still dozens of people who are sitting in solitary confinement right now who still have not been charged with anything or facing like trespassing charges is it and they're you know getting these incredible sentences that the one gentleman who committed suicide i think like two weeks ago because he got seven years in prison for trespassing hadn't damaged anything hadn't hurt anyone just went into the building and was given seven years in prison and he killed himself um sadly for that but i I think it's a lost narrative in that the general public does not believe it the general public in america does not believe that on january 6th that the there was an attempt to overthrow the government it has not caused people to hate Trump. It has not caused Trump voters to walk away from Trump. In fact, if anything, since then, because of the, the horrible uh, governance or lack thereof of this administration, uh, Trump is probably more popular right now than he was on January 6th. There are, there are probably more people who support him now because now he can walk out and say, I told you so. I told right. you this was what was going to happen. So I think what's interesting is, is that there is there was a definite play that was made to try to 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 um, 
you know, turn January 6th into something. We know that the FBI was involved in it and there were there were people who were informants and, and even, um, you know, uh, agent provocateurs who were inside right. the crowd. No, no doubt about that. So there was a clear effort to do this. However, the public doesn't believe it. They just the public doesn't buy it. And and if you look at the polling, the polling indicates that Americans have no interest in talking about January 6th. Huh. It does not have it. In fact, there are probably more people who will talk about Ukraine than will talk about January 6th, even though they, they, they couldn't even find Ukraine on the map. And huh. January 6th was right here in their own country, but they just don't care about it. And so what's happened is you're, the administration seems like they're struggling because they're trying to continue to play this narrative. Remember, the, of, of equity, they're equity based. They've got to protect the country against racists and racism. And the biggest threat in this country is, is white nationalism. Right. So they'll say those things. But I think the public just it's, it's not there. James Carville famously said, and you know, the quote, it's the economy, stupid. And so when, when Biden wants to run again, he wants to change the subject to let's talk about white supremacy and why I have to be your protector. The reality is, if you want to be a protector, you got to protect us against gas prices, because that's the thing that's hurting people or the cost of bread or the cost of, of food. When I go to the grocery store, they can't afford to buy eggs and milk. Right. That those are the issues that people actually care about. And so I think the only way you can deal with that is you try to create a great distraction to say, well, you know, don't worry about the fact that you can't afford food or rent or the fact that the cost of everything is sky high. I'm protecting you from a greater threat, white supremacy, racists, nationalists. And I, I just I don't see it working. I don't see there being enough passion in people to say, I'm going to run out and vote for this guy because I feel afraid of that. When, again, the thing they're most afraid of is not being able to take care of their family at the end of the month. That's what most Americans are most afraid of at this moment. I couldn't agree more. And what's interesting, the, the connection here is that, of course, what are they framing? Who's at fault? Of course, Putin's at fault, right? He did it. Right. Even though all their actions leading up to this, even as they've op- embarrassingly said and admitted accidentally, is that it's been this most of this happened before that ever started. Sure. You know, and so I find it interesting to your point there that they are driving in a narrative as to, to your point that most people don't even agree with. So why would that be? I think it's because there's clearly been a lot of planning and a lot of time sent in, in, in care, setting all of this up. And so maybe that's exactly why. And my last thought that Putin and all this was driven in because they ha- if they can connect the hatred that they've created, they think maybe with Putin and Russia bad guy with the idea of white nationalism and the whole idea that they could end up making this successful. That's just my thought. But overall, to your point, I think if, he, if Americans aren't buying this, at the very least, let's start a war. <laughs> that seems to be a U.S. government tactic. <laughs> and, and, it, and it is a U.S. government tactic. The difference is, is that it's really easy to go blow up a bunch of brown people in Syria or in Iraq or in Afghanistan. It's really easy to do that. It's easy to blow up a, a bunch of people in Somalia, right, mm-hmm. and, and to launch attacks on those countries where you pay the leaders and then you just keep carpet bombing them every day because then contractors get paid a very different story when you try to go to war with a nuclear power and that's yep. that's where I, I you know think that most americans also have no interest and and here's w- one final thought um if you watch just how people respond and talk the news media will still breathlessly talk about ukraine but the majority of americans aren't even talking about it anymore in the beginning they talked about it a lot i'm not even hearing people talk about it much it's almost as mm-hmm. if it's already jumped the shark in terms of public interest and people are moving away from it. And if that's the case, you have to go one of two ways. Find a new enemy or you have to raise the stakes. Hopefully they don't choose to raise the stakes. Yeah, that's a good part to end on. And sadly, I I, I see this going a couple of ways of, of in indirectly in toward the raising the stakes argument whether that's because they feel they have to, because they've invested overly invested, or because like has happened in the past, like in Syria, 
like Vanessa Bailey's pointed out, that the group that they arm and fund that are radical and crazy, at least to some degree, I, don't, I argue some of them aren't. They're the leaders that are manipulating it, sort of like with ISIS, as you pointed out in your documentary, that they're not all the religious extremists. It's more, you know, they can be manipulated. But the point nonetheless is that they aren't completely under control. And they could be the ones like the Kurds, for example, to take a sprawling, grasping action to try to get the U.S. government attention. And they might have to. So right. either way, I agree. I think that that's hopefully it goes the direction of they pull back because people are seeing through it. But it feels a little bit endgame, sort of like COVID-19. So I'm, I'm hoping it goes that way. But thank you for being here, Ben, and giving us your insight because people are not getting this outside of independent media. I mean, it's a complete lockdown that I've, I've said before. If, they're, if you're not even allowed to hold a different opinion, whether it's Russia or anything else, then how in the world are they pretending there's dialogue? It's, right. it's just absurd. <laughs> thank, thank you for being here, Ben. Anybody, if you want to leave us any uh, links or anything, people can check out your work. Go to Sovereign.media. In fact, we're releasing a new report today about Zelensky himself and the fact yes. that he has moved into full-on dictator uh, at this point. Pay attention. You know, when, when everyone's talking about how bad Putin is, watch what Zelensky's doing in his moment of crisis to consolidate power. It's actually, it's even more stunning than the stuff that Trudeau was pulling in Canada that he's doing in Ukraine. It's pretty crazy. Ah, well, then make sure you guys check out Sovereign, by the way, because it's a great platform. And thank you for being here, Ben. And everybody right. out there, as always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. On February 20th of 2013, the world was shocked by video footage of snipers firing on protesters in Kiev, Ukraine. 21 people were murdered, and it was widely assumed that President Viktor Yanukovych and his supporters were behind the attacks. However, a phone conversation between EU foreign policy chief Kathy Ashton and Estonia's foreign minister Urmas Payet, which was leaked to the public on March 5th, reveals the snipers were actually from the new coalition government, and that Western diplomats knew this and covered it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that he has some sort of, how to say, trust among all these Maidan people and, and civil society. And second, what was quite disturbing, the same Olga told that, well, all the evidence shows uh, that people who were killed by snipers from both sides, among policemen and, and people from the streets, that they were the same snipers killing people from both sides. Well, that, yeah. So that, and then she also showed me some photos. Uh, she said that has medical doctor. She can, you know, say that it is the same, same handwriting, the same type of bullets. And it's really disturbing that now the new, uh, new coalition that they don't want to investigate what exactly happened. So that there is now stronger and stronger understanding that behind snipers, they were, it was not Yanukovych, but it was somebody from the new coalition. For some reason, the U.S. media didn't think that that little detail was worth covering. But wait, I thought the opposition protesters were just peaceful activists who wanted a chance to join the European Union. Well, yeah, that's the official narrative that the U.S. media outlets are peddling. But the real story is far more ominous. It turns out that the most powerful and influential contingent in the opposition is a coalition of literal fascists and neo-Nazis. And they aren't peaceful. In fact, they're extremely brutal. This is a picture of Victoria Newland from the U.S. State Department meeting with Ole Tanibok in February. And this is a picture of Senator John McCain sharing a stage with Tanibok in December. But why would the U.S. government work with neo-Nazis? Because they thought that they could control the situation. They thought that they could install their puppets behind the scenes and manipulate the situation in their favor. That same Victoria Newland who met with Svoboda in February was caught on another leaked call discussing who they would put in power. What do you think? Uh, I think we're in play. Um... The, the uh, Klitschko piece is obviously the complicated electron here. 
um, especially the announcement of him as deputy prime minister. And, and you've seen some of my notes on the troubles in the marriage right now. So we're trying to get a read really fast on where he is on this stuff. But I think your argument to him, which you'll need to make, I think that's the next phone call we want to set up, is exactly the one you made to, to Yachts. And I, I'm glad you sort of put him on the spot on where he fits in this scenario. And I'm very glad he said what he said in response. Good. So uh, I don't think Cleet should go into the government. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you think what, in terms of him not going into the government, just let him sort of stay out and do his political homework and stuff. I'm just thinking in terms of sort of the process moving ahead, we want to keep the moderate Democrats together. The problem is going to be Tony Book and his guys. And, you know, I'm sure that's part of what Yanukovych is calculating on all of this. Um, I, kinda... I, I, I think Yats is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's, he's the guy, you know, what he needs is Cleach and Tony Book on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week. You know, I... I, I... Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we